Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 51. We are doing something a little different this morning in our study of the life of David. We are looking now at a psalm um, that picks up on the theme we've been in for the last several weeks. And I'm just going to get this organized. There we go. Um, We've been talking about a very challenging topic. We've been looking at sin. And um, the first passage we saw was David and Bathsheba. And we saw the narrative, right? We saw the action unfold. And we saw the anatomy of sin, Uriah's death, the murder. Last week we looked at God's response. Where God moves toward David through Nathan and confronts him. And we talked about gospel confrontation. This week... Uh, we get to see David's response. His heart is opened right in front of us. And Psalm 51, which is his response to the sin, uh, is probably one of the greatest um, places in all of Scripture to really look at what repentance looks like fully. There are many places in Scripture, but Psalm 51 has just a beautiful place to go and see what, what repentance can look like. And we titled this sermon, The Joy of My... Well, let's see, what's the title? Is it in there? In the, what did I say? Returning to the joy of our salvation. And, and I really do hope you'll hear the joy in this discussion. Even though it's heavy, we're looking at sin, we're repenting, uh, there's joy in it. We'll see that this morning as we look at this passage. So follow along with me, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices. And burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you uh, for showing us this picture of David, for David, his heart being opened because of his trust and knowledge that he was in you, Christ. He could 
share this with us. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to better search inside of our own hearts, uh, that we would be able to turn in repentance like David, filled with joy. Amen. Um, the New Testament begins with repentance in chapter Matthew 3, 2, and in Revelation it ends with repentance, and one author talks about how really repentance is a dominant theme throughout the New Testament, and often I think we come to this concept and we, we, it, we're a little down on it. It's, um, it's hard, and we don't like it, and so we tr- tend to want to sort of have it be on the edge of our theology or on the side of our theology But when you start to look at the passages of Scripture, especially Psalm 51, it seems like for David it's a driving force uh, for his life, not just in this one sin, that he he longs to be closer to God and he longs for the joy of his salvation. Uh, We've all maybe heard, we talk about it from time to time, Martin Luther's famous first theses when he nailed his uh, on the door of Wittenberg when he says, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent. He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. And so the question before us is, what does that repentance look like? This is a very hard thing. What does true repentance look like? And that's what I think we're going to explore and see from David's psalm, that the, the gospel drives us to repentance, but it's always filled with joy. And so that's what we're going to look at. We want to come away filled with joy, right? That's how you know I think you've come face-to-face with the Lord in your repentance. So starting with just walking through the passage, um, the first major topic is just the fact that you have to see the sin. That's important. Um, I want to make sure we understand that confession is a part of repentance, but it's not the totality of repentance. However, there is that aspect. Remember last week we talked about how David is having a conversation with Nathan Nathan brings up this parable about the sheep and the man stealing the sheep. And David had no idea that he was talking about him. And it's just a helpful reminder to know that it is important as we repent to be reminded, oh yeah, like that is wrong, that is sin. David had to be convinced of that. And one of the aspects of repentance is confessing that and acknowledging that. So we know that. Look at verse 3 where David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I just want to make sure we make that point, because I've noticed in my own life, it's, it's, you can, there's a tendency to think, well, God's sovereign, he knows that. I don't, I don't need to name it. And I think it's very healthy and very important to name your particular sin particularly. The Westminster Confession tells us the same thing. But, but more than that, and this is also important, we talked about last week, is David sees something deeper going on. He's acknowledging that there's actually something farther down in his soul that's creating this sin. Um, And that's what leads him to say in verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned. I mean, can you imagine if Bathsheba, like, what did she think when she read that the first, like, David, you did more than that. Like, we had an affair and you killed my husband. Uh, Why are you saying only against God? And remember in the passage last week, God says through Nathan the prophet, you despised me, right? You despised me. And so David, in his confession, is recognizing that his deep depth of his sin was a hatred toward God, and he's making that known. Um, It's interesting that at the end of this psalm, verse 17, David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
So God is not going to despise us in our contrite hearts, even though we despise him in our sin. And then thirdly, I think David goes even deeper into his sin. And before I tell you where he does, I just, I know this is hard. Like, you just want to, we tend to want to just name it and move on. But there's something about what we see in Psalm 51 that says, no, like, go into the core, go to the roots, find the, the core reason for it. And David goes all the way to original sin. He says um, in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's referring now to the fact that even at birth we have sin. That, that there's a body of flesh we all have until we die and go to be with the Lord or till Jesus returns. And it's actually healthy to know that. Because a lot of times I think we try to ignore that fact pretend it's not true, and then when it rears its ugly head, we act surprised. It's better to know there is an enemy inside of me as well as the devil outside of me because at that point we can run to Jesus more boldly in our repentance, and that's what David's doing here. And so I just want to draw our attention to the idea that in true repentance, we're doing more rather than less. We're not just barely saying what we did wrong to God or to someone else in confession, but we're actually being more robust and willing to even think more deeply about what's going on. This was um, illustrated for me yesterday. Uh, I came home. We had a meeting here. I came home and was talking with Bonnie, and uh, she had just settled in on the couch to watch a TV show. And um, I wanted to kind of—I kind of wanted to hang out in the living room, but I was going to go ahead and let her watch her show. But then I looked over and thought, "Oh, that's not a good show for you." Well, Mom said I could watch it. Well, I don't know if mom knows which one, so we're having this dialogue about this TV show, and she gets pretty mad at me, um, and goes upstairs, and I, I kind of head to the, where I could hear her tell mom the story, and it wasn't exactly the way it went down, right? I felt slandered by my seven-year-old, so I went upstairs, and I said, well, actually, and we had a conversation. She got more mad, uh, and finally, we, ha- we were, and I will say, I'm proud of us. We, we handled it well. We calmly sent her to her room, and um, I decided, you know, I'll give her some time to calm down. I'll visit with her. And we walk, I walked into her room. She was asleep, or at least pretending to be, right? It's a perfect ploy. It's, you know, one eye open. And her eye did open when I sat on the bench. She said, Dad, I'm so sorry. And in those words, there was zero doubt. I, I can't explain it. But there, I, well, you know, maybe I didn't need it. It's just, you could just see her body language. She knew what she had done. It was beautiful. But then she said, Dad, I have a horrible temper problem. Now that's repentance. She didn't just do the bare minimum, right? The normal thing is, I'm sorry. Are we good? You know, she went even farther. And so I sensed in that moment, I had to say, Bonnie, I do too. You know, I struggle with you. And no, you don't, Dad. You were calm. I was like, yes. It was awesome. I didn't tell her that I was restraining a lot of frustration while I was calm. But I think it's a picture of the fact that it's healthy to be honest with what's going on because here's the point. David was already forgiven. David was already told by Nathan, you will live. You are forgiven. That's where repentance comes from. We're not repenting to be forgiven. Do you understand the difference? So now that I'm forgiven, 
I also have a temper problem. And while we're at it, I have this problem. And we can be more and more honest with the Father because he will come and heal us, as we're going to see in a few moments. But what's fascinating for David is when he is more honest with his sin, the law, the rules, God's character become more clear to him. Look at um, verse 4b, uh, if you want to say that, the second part of verse 4. So that, he says, you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David is saying, now that I'm confessing my sin to you, I'm able to also realize the actual law I transgress. It's hard to imagine, but he, in some weird way, did not realize for even a short season what he did with sin. I just, you know, with what he did with Bathsheba, or maybe with Uriah. We talked about it last week. I'm just being a king. I'm just sending him into battle. Now he realizes I hated my brother. I lusted against my sister. He's able to confess that sin and see it more clearly at the same time. So when we see our sins deeply, what we're actually doing is we're seeing God's law become beautiful. And remember, you're not under that law. Like it's not measuring you. So now it's our, it's our guide, right? Now that I'm free in Christ and I'm confessing sin, I can actually get more and more clear of the beauty of the law. And that's right here in the passage too when you see in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David is saying, I don't want to play religion. I want to live to where even my heart is changed, my heart is transformed. And now we're going to look at this longing for restoration. He sees his sin, he connects it to God's law, and now he longs for restoration. Starting in verse 7 through 12, there are a series of requests David is making. And I want to just point out that these requests... Uh, aren't asked in such a way as to hope and wonder, though they're written that way. It's, it's a, in my view, it's a humility, but he's confident these things will happen. But more than that, it's also a dependence, that we are dependent on God, even in our sanctification, even in our repentance. We need him to help us repent. So look at, um, starting at verse, um, well, look at verse 10. It's kind of, the, to me, one of the crowning Verses of the, of the few there. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This crying out for his spirit that's within him to be filled and, and to be clean and to image God, his triune God of the, of the universe. But listen to what he says um, for cleanness. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I remember the first time I ever saw, do you remember the first time you ever saw snow? It's kind of hard if you're from Oklahoma. It's been a long time since we've had a good blanket of snow. But I remember my mom waking me up saying, come here, what, what is it? And I looked out the front door and it was just this beautiful blanket. You could not see anything underneath it. And it was just gorgeous, right? You don't, no one had treaded it through it yet. There was no brown footsteps. It was just beautiful white. And David is saying, and he's claiming this promise, that's how I want to be. Right? I want to be pure. And it's beautiful because that is something God will grant him in Christ. That's what repentance does. He also asks for joy. I think this is so important why it's in the title of our sermon. In verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. I mean, there's two things happening right there. He's confessing, I don't feel joy. But then he's also asking the Lord, please give me joy. Do you pray that? I mean, every time someone says, 
something about joy, I almost always go, oh yeah, that's a thing. You know, like, do you ever have that thought? Like, I guess I'm supposed to feel that way, right? It is in the fruit of the Spirit list. I, I have to be honest. I, Doug can probably tell you, Ryan's not full of joy all the time, some of the time. But why? I, I get caught up in, in life's problems. I'm forgetting what I have in the salvation of Jesus. And, and, and David is saying, Lord, bring me that joy. And I think we are saying that together. Give us this joy. Um, I was actually going to use this in the intro, but I, I decided to save it. There's a, a great hymn we sing, if I can find it in here. Amazing Love and Can It Be, right, by Charles Wesley. Uh, and the story is the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, started Methodism. They were part of the Great Awakening. But they didn't have the greatest start um, I'm, you know, anyway, they, come to, they came to America, didn't go well, and they actually got sick. And so they go back home, and Charles um, was just struggling with his spirituality. And so he reads, I don't know who gave it to him, but he reads Martin Luther's, I believe it's actually the intro to Galatians, or whether the, it was the whole uh, commentary on Galatians or the intro. But he, he became, he would say converted, but he became at least awakened, Right? And, and it's because what Luther does so well in that commentary is he reminds us of our alien righteousness. What that means is your righteousness, your standing before God is not based on anything you do. It's based on what Jesus has done and it's been applied to you. And when we rightly apprehend that, we feel freedom. Because so much of the time where my joy is taken from me, when I'm choosing not to be joyful, however you want to say it, it's because I'm, I'm seeing myself as strapped down by something, some responsibility, some fear, right? And yet at any moment, if I could remember the gospel, those chains would fall off of me. And those are the exact words he uses when he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chain fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And you just hear in those words just joy. Do you have joy? And if not now, have you ever had joy in your salvation? Has that ever been good news? I mean, I think it's possible to actually be a Christian and yet not remember that joy. And I would encourage all of us to go back to, whether we want to go back or just now, dig deep and go, why am I not sensing that joy? Like, what is it in me that doesn't sense that is good news? That is a perfect place to repent, right? That's a perfect place to go before the Lord and say, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and trust that he will give it. Um, and all of these um, requests are, are resting on the Lord sending the Spirit to David and you and I to open our hearts. That's very hard. How does that rest with you, the thought of asking the Spirit to open our heart? Horatius Bonar says, you speak of this inability to repent as if it were some unprovided for difficulty. You would not have so responded had you found out that you could repent yourself without the Spirit. And it would greatly relieve you to be told that you could dispense with the Spirit's help in this matter altogether. If this would relieve you, it is plain that you have no confidence in the Spirit. Did you but know the blessed truth that His willingness, that is the Spirit's willingness, far exceeds your own? 
you would rejoice that the power was in his hands rather than yours. Do you believe that? If you think, I want to know God, but if I ask God, he may not. We're wrong. He wants you to be filled with joy more than you want. If you want it 1%, he wants it 99%, 100%. All you have to do is ask. And I find that to be repenting for me because so often I'm afraid to ask because all of a sudden the control is out of my hands. What's that going to look like when he sends his spirit and, re, and re, renews the bones that he has broken and, and creates in a clean heart? What am I going to become like? Do you ever, like I can tell I'm getting close because I start to go, whoa, that's going to be too radical. I'll just, I'll just kind of back off over here. But that's what repentance looks like, right? And how do you tell that that's happening? Um, look, at, look at 13. David just transitions to, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. It hap- what happens when you get a hold of this is it makes you want to tell people. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people talk about the gift of evangelism, like it's something some people have and some people don't have. Every one of you, the moment you like something, you tell the world. In fact, Facebook, it's embedded in there. Just hit like. We are natural evangelists, right? I like this person for mayor. I love that movie. I love that furniture. I love that style. We are all like, you can't wait to tell somebody. So the real issue, unfortunately for us, is we're not that excited about Jesus. Let's just be honest. Because if you are excited about Jesus, and I'm not saying all of you are never excited about Jesus. I'm saying when we're struggling with evangelism, for whatever reason, in those moments, Jesus doesn't seem to be the key unlocking the door for the person. We, we, we're, we're too afraid. We're either afraid of rejection or maybe it's just not good news for us in that moment. Or maybe I have, I'm struggling with unbelief and I just don't think the Spirit's going to help them because I'm the one determining. And I think this passage frees me to say no. When I pray these prayers and ask the Spirit to, to bring back the joy of my salvation, I will turn and teach transgressors his way. And it will restore us into worship. And I know that Doug and Sylvia are thankful because they want you to sing louder, right? We want you guys to sing in this church. And so David says, I will begin to praise you with my lips. I will sing. I will declare your praise. And we will have revival in our midst with that kind of view. Does that sound good? Does that sound like what you would like? Is that a new view of repentance? David then transitions into this thought on Zion in verse 18. He thinks about the future. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to close this service this morning with a song about feasting in the gates of Zion. And, and the, we, Do you long for heaven? That, that's really the, the, the... When I'm in a repentant frame, I'm gazing at heaven, I'm gazing at my Holy Father, I'm longing for him to come near. And we ask that he would come build up the gates of Zion in our midst. David knew that his own lifetime, that would not happen. He was told that. But yet he still longed for the future king, Jesus. And Jesus promises to come and build us up. And he does that through repentance. Um, I have a conclusion to this discussion that helps me. And I'm going to just tell you to maybe kind of take everything we've talked about and put it into a framework that might be slightly helpful. Um, my dad will come up sometimes from Edmund to help me do some chores around the house, and usually Emily's the one that called him. But, and he's pretty good. 
He's pretty good. If you're listening, Dad, you're really good. Uh, but I want you to imagine with me that you have a father that's like, like the best. We have, a, we have a carpenter that's helped us named John the Beard. Like he's excellent. So if you need a carpenter, John the Beard uh, on wood. But, um, but picture your father can do it all. He can, anything you can name, he can do it. Okay? And he's coming this afternoon at three with all of his tools. He drives a big truck with every tool you can believe. Okay. What are you doing all day? Are you like, I don't know, my house looks pretty good. Is anyone doing that? You know, I don't, honey, you see that scratch on that wall? No, but I don't see that scratch. I'm watching the game. No. What you're doing is this. There's a scratch there. Put tape on it. I want that carpet to be different. Like that garden can be fixed. Like you become energized because your dad's coming. And he promises to fix the house. And that's what redemption is. That's what, that's what uh, repentance is. It's us because we're already saved. We're already in Christ. He is our father. He's coming in. I'm still using the metaphor to do whatever you point at. Now, guess what you'll tell people? Look what my dad and I did, right? And it's true. Like you helped hammer. He let you do the, the screw. He fixed it, but no, not like that, like this. And together you partnered, but you're, it's because of your dad and his longing to make you holy. So the real question is, do you want that? Because if you do, it's yours. All you have to do is ask, and he's the one that gives you the faith to ask it. And that's our goal this morning, is to begin to say, Father, here is some sin. I'm, I'm insecure. I'm, I'm highly this. I'm highly that. I have this problem. I believe underneath it I'm, I'm maybe despising you. Show me. And then you come to these middle verses, and Lord, purge me with hyssop and make me whiter than snow. If you don't want that yet, what do you pray? Lord, I don't even want that yet. Make me to want that. Lord, I want to want to be lighter than snow. Like, and he will give you that desire. That's what he wants to do, and that's what he promises to do. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you long to lead us in repentance that would sanctify us, that would make us more like you for your glory. Thank you that you have not set it up to where we do it. But Lord, that makes it risky because now we have to ask by faith for your spirit to open our eyes and to do the work in us and with us and through us. And we ask that this morning. We need you. We even need you just to give us the desire. I pray for that this morning. And if there is anyone in this room, Lord, who's not yet come to faith in you, I pray even now the chains may fall off and their heart may be set free, that they would come to be saved even now. Lord, we long for that. Teach us to tell transgressors about you. Teach us to go out and say, I've got the greatest news. It's God who does this. That's good news, Lord. Amen.